Dish it out. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Pastor Chase. You're done. You're done. It's a sign from God. Sign from God. He was about to say thanks for giving. You can give online and however you want to give. Thanks so much for your generosity. Uh, but no, he's, he's right. Our business meetings are typically less than uh, 30 minutes because I hate meetings. Anybody hate meetings? Yeah. Like if they don't have a purpose, it's like, Nasty, but our business meeting is actually fun, and we will be on that day showing you like an elevation of what our new building's going to look like. Um, if you're newer and you don't realize that we're in a building project, um, we kind of forgot about it because of the everything that's happening. But uh, we'll let you know we have a very healthy building fund. We paid this building off last year, so uh, we're pretty excited about what's going to be there. Hopefully by Christmas of next year. We were supposed. I had these visions of Christmas this last year, and. What we think doesn't always happen, amen? Uh, so anyway, glad you're here. Just read your bulletin, you'll be fine. Uh, we'll quit printing them if, they, if they're not effective. But uh, I do want to say thank you for joining us online. Again, Pastor Stevie and Kristen uh, got that nasty cold. Um, it's not COVID. Uh, they tested negative, as did Chris and I. But um, you know, you can get a cold these days, and it doesn't have to be COVID. Yeah. Right? It's the common cold. And, um, but it's pretty nasty. It's, it's spreading like wildfire. And so... Anyhow, we'll, we'll all get it, we'll all get over it. And uh, fortunately, I had, I had my message ready because Pastor Steve was supposed to be preaching today and I can't use his What's Up fam, so I'm gonna say, come on, stop, Amelia. How you guys doing, right? Because he'll, he'll give you next week. It's a signature line and I won't steal it from him, but I know they're probably home watching. Um, and Zach, thank you on short notice for leading worship for us. Um, I just, let's just give him a hand. I appreciate him willing to do that. Um, uh, I, I, I'm curious to know what Kristen's voice sounds like. Um, if you know who Mac Powell is, it's a really gravelly voice. I'm kind of curious what she sounds like. She might actually sound like Johnny Cash at the moment. I'm not sure, but anyhow, just uh, thankful for, for our staff and thankful for those who just stepped up to make today happen. So all right, let's get into this. If you're brand new, thank you so much for being here. Uh, there's nothing better you can be doing in CUNA than being in church. All right, this is, the, this is the place to be. Um, I'm excited about today's message. Um, again, I was planning on preaching it next week. Pastor, you probably will preach next week. Um, but I believe this is gonna help you today. Uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced that God wants to talk to you about a few things in your life. Um, and I hope that you're convinced of that too. Because when we're convinced that God wants to talk to us, it means that he cares about how we're living. He cares about our growth. He cares about where we're going. Um, he cares about the direction of our life. And he, he cares because he loves you. Like he wants your life, it's like a parent. You care where your kid ends up. And so there's some decisions sometimes you have to make to help guide your kids to the right direction. And they may not like it, but in the end result, really that's what we're looking for is results. And so uh, again, climate change, uh, lesson number two, that's the series we're in. And I, I, I told you last week, if you weren't here, uh, I'll recap a little bit of a story that I experienced when I was 13 years old. Uh, when, I, when I wrecked my mom's uh, CJ5 Jeep, um, looking at girls. I was waving at girls, driving this Jeep. I was 13 years old. I uh, grew up in the country, driving stick shifts. And um, I was on a dirt road. And I made a sharp turn, and a couple girls from school were walking down the other road. And, and so I, I as I was turning, I turned and I waved at them, but I never corrected the steering wheel. And, and all of a sudden I find the Jeep sideways in a ditch and my little brother landed on top of me. And I asked this profound question. I said, did we just wreck? Okay, did we just wreck? Because I just didn't see it coming. And, uh, and because of that experience that I had, I have learned to keep my eyes on the road. So um, the question, did we just wreck? There's another way to ask that. And that is the title of the message. And that is this, how did I get here? You ever ask that question? You might be in a ditch sideways going, what in the world just happened? I didn't see it coming. How did I get here? How did I get here? You might be in that spot of your life today of going, I'm, I'm not sure how I got here, but here I am. 
And, and the next question is, is how do I get out? Now, this question can be a, a good question. How did I get here? You might be successful. You might be just living your dream and man, things are going really good. How did you get here? You got there by good decisions. You got there by doing the right things. By, by setting yourself up for success, we do the hard things now and that, that reaps a, a success later on. But if you're in a spot that you really don't want to be in, here, here's also a simple answer to that. How did you get there? Habits and patterns. Because our habits and our patterns guide our life. It's what you do every day. It's the repetition. It's the practice. It's the getting up. Um, and I will tell you this, that if you probably read, you know, if you read your Bible maybe once a, a week, and, and when you read the Bible, it's up on the screen. You probably struggle a bit, all right? I'm an avid reader of the Word of God. Every day I have to start out with the Word of God. And I've said for years that if we don't start our morning out in prayer, we're going to end our day in repentance, right? Because we need to ask God for help from the get-go. So we're going to start out in Hebrews. We're going to bump over to Romans um, in just a moment. And it's the same author. So I want to show you something that he's, he's setting this pattern here. Um, and here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to read part of this verse and then we'll come back to it later. He says this, this is Apostle Paul. He goes, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what time out, what do you mean? What, surrounded by who? By witnesses. What's he referring to? Well, the context of what he's saying happened in chapter 11. In chapter 11, he goes through, they call it the hall of fame or hall of faith. I'm sorry, the hall of faith. And he lists all the men and women of God in the old Testament, Moses, um, Abraham, Rahab, the prostitute. He, He lists a prostitute as a woman of faith. Don't, don't say God can't use what he wants to use. Amen. Okay, he used a woman named Rahab who actually has a lineage of Jesus. Um, And he goes on to talk about Samson and David and Samuel. Um, So he's saying all these men and women, they weren't perfect, but they did what God asked them to do. They made a lot of mistakes, but they still did what God wanted them to do. And so that's what he's saying. So I think what Paul's probably drawing a picture here in people's minds is the, the Colosseum in Rome. And if you're in the arena, you can look around and see the, all the people sitting. And I think he's saying spiritually, you have all these spiritual giant people, people that just laid a good foundation for how to, how to serve God, how to live for God, how to do what's right amidst making mistakes. He said, all those people are just cheering you on. Like you're in the arena, they're, they're in heaven now, but they're just cheering you on to keep going. So that's who he's referring to. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, we'll come back to that um, in a little bit. I'll start out with this. You are where you are because of choices you made, for the most part, okay? For the most part, you are where you are because of choices you've made. Now, there are times in life when somebody else will make a choice, and it puts us in a predicament or in a situation, but for the most part, Your life is turning out the way it is because of decisions that you have made. Um, You deal with, okay, this is good or bad, right? Does everybody agree with this? I mean, our decisions lead us to to where we're going. This is good or bad. Some of you are in a good financial place. Why? Because you've made some good financial decisions. Some of you are in a bad financial place because you made some... Let's be honest, made some bad financial decisions, right? Some of you are in bad financial place because the, the, the hospital decided to charge you way more than it was worth. Okay. There's exceptions to a lot of the things that I'm saying, okay? Uh, there's never exceptions to God's word, but my opinion, there's always exceptions. And how do we deal with decisions? Well, you deal with bad decisions, past bad decisions, by learning to make better decisions. Like, I, I learned something by looking at girls when I should have been looking at the road. 
<laughs> and, I, and I went off. I learned from that. Now I just stay focused on the road, and I happen to find a lot of things when I stay focused on the road. But nowadays, honestly, Bob, I'll be driving, I'll see something that interests me, and I'll, and I'll be tempted to look at it, and I'll have a flashback of saying, okay, I know, you, because you can get off course really, really fast. It's not worth the look, okay, to go off the road. All right, I posted this this week, all right, better decisions equals fewer regrets. Better decisions equals fewer regrets. And, and some of you in this place, if you're younger, you have parents that may have made some decisions that weren't the best, and they're telling you, hey, don't do this. Like, don't do this. It landed me in a bad spot, so I'm going to train you not to do that. Um, and my heart really as a pastor is I want you to succeed, and that's really the whole point of today's message. But we really are a product of our decisions, some people want to say, well, we're a product of the environment. That's not always true. Okay, I would say most of the time that's not true. You're really a product of your decisions, regardless of what environment you grew up in. Okay, you can still be successful. That is one of the beautiful things about America, is America is you can be successful. There's enough opportunities that if you work hard and you have honesty and integrity and a work ethic, okay, you can be successful especially in this country. Spiritually, you can be too. My problem with the Jeep is I got my eyes off the road and it was a lesson learned of how fast you can end up the di in the ditch if you're not paying attention. Okay, you gotta stay focused on what's ahead of you. All right, this helps me today. So the first step of success is when you take responsibility for how your life is turning out. And that is one thing that our world is really good at these days is, is, is teaching, you know, don't be the victim. <laughs> be responsible. You know, get a job, don't live off the government. Our, our, you know, our, our country's really going in the great direction in that. And you know, I'm completely lying to you. <laughs> Unless you're a teenager, I know this is great. Now, now right, the first step to say is taking responsibility for how your life is turning out. It's up to me. One of the many things that my parents taught us was you don't play the victim. Like the world does not owe you anything. We as parents don't owe you anything. Like we worked, we grew up working, and most of you probably did. Uh, grew up working, you had chores, you had things that you had to do just because you were part of the family. All right, you ate the food, you used the hot water and electricity, and you, you just did your part. All right, don't play the victim. Don't play the victim. You see, when I understand that I'm responsible for how my life is turning out, that puts me in the driver's seat. When I'm not blaming circumstances or my lack of abilities or whatever it is, um, when I say, you know what, I, I'm responsible for how my life turns out, it puts me in the driver's seat. And this is good news if you're a motivated person. If you're motivated to be the best you can be at what you're doing or what you're focused on, um, when I realize, man, my, my actions can determine how good I become at something, I will stay focused. I can't, I can't let somebody else practice for me. Wouldn't it be great if somebody else worked out for you? Yeah. Like every day I get more abs because somebody else is doing sit-ups? I mean, that's not how it works, right? We, we think that's how it works, but that's not how it works. And this is, when I think about America, that's, that's why people came to America to begin with, okay? Our ancestors, your ancestors, the ones that, that made the trip, okay, if they made the trip across the ocean to come to America, they didn't come because there was a lot of free stuff offered, <laughs> all right? Matter of fact, if you came here, you had to qualify. You went to Ellis Island first. I read the other day that if you were pregnant out of wedlock, they didn't let you in the country, I mean, it's, it was pretty serious. If you were sick, they would send you back. There was, there was some health qualifications and some moral qualifications you had to have to come into America. Um, and, and the reason they came to America was for opportunity. If you worked hard and you had a good work ethic and you were honest, you can make a better life in America, okay? And I think we need to get back to that mentality, right? We can't just offer a bunch of free stuff, say, hey, come in. Um, you know, I'm all about immigration, but it needs to be done properly and needs to be done legally. That's, just, that's where I stand on it, right? There's a legal way to do it. 
You know, I know some, some illegals and they're harder working than anybody, all right? So I don't have a problem if you're working hard paying taxes, uh, but we have to do things in the appropriate way. That's just where I stand on stuff, okay? Uh, because I think it's biblical, right? But America was built by hardworking people, okay? Blaming others or circumstances put bitterness in control. And, and I don't want to be controlled by bitterness. Bitterness can get in really easy, can it? Have you ever been bitter and you didn't realize it, but when, once it gets touched, you can get bitter pretty quickly. When I blame others or I blame my circumstances, that puts bitterness in control, which will make you out of control, okay? Victim mentality gives you excuses for how things are. Uh, I think Lucifer became the devil because he had this mentality. God made Lucifer, okay? Lucifer is not Jesus' brother. And the Bible says that God has one son and his name is Jesus. Lucifer was a created angel, okay? He was a created being. He was actually the worship leader of heaven. And now we have a better idea of why music is so, so influential in our world, Okay? But Lucifer wasn't happy with what God made him be. He wanted to be God, and in wanting to be God, he got cast out of heaven, okay? And his end is a bad deal. So when we have this pride and we have this mentality of, well, I deserve more, it can get us in trouble. What has God called you to do, okay? So don't make excuses. You have to live with a better focus. So reaching goals in life, okay? What are your goals? I want you to think about that right now. What are some goals that you have? You don't have to say them out loud, but in your mind, what are some goals that you have? We talked about this last week. It takes focus, and it takes effort, and it takes work, okay? Reaching the ditch takes no effort at all. It's actually the result of no effort to stay on the road. I promise you, if you, if you leave this church today, or when you leave this church today, um, I, I just encourage you to drive by faith and do not touch your steering wheel once you get on the deer flat. Please use it in the, you know, because we have insurance. Um, I don't want to use it. But once you get out to deer flat, I want you just to drive by faith, I want you to drive home without nothing touching the steering wheel and tell me how that works out for you. If you're a passenger, please videotape it so you can send me some good YouTube things. Okay? You, you all know you would not reach your home okay, without your hand on the steering wheel or your knees on the steering wheel. I, I promise you, none of you would get to your driveway if you, if you live that way. And yet sometimes people live life like that. We just drive spiritually with our hands off the steering wheel and we expect to, leave it, or to arrive at a good destination. You will always end up in a ditch. Okay, or in a power pole or something. Okay? It just doesn't work. And so my, my heart today is to tell you that you have more control of how things turn out than you think you might. To keep your hand on the steering wheel, to stay focused on what it is that, that God has for you down the road. Reaching goals takes focus and it takes effort. I'm going to read you a story that I found uh, in this book, and it's pretty good. Some of you may have heard it before, but hopefully not. It's called Uncompromising Determination. It says, a farmer was driving down the road one day, he noticed a sign by the local airport that said, experience the thrill of flying. The farmer thought to himself, well, tomorrow is my wife's birthday. I'd love for her to experience the thrill of flying. That would make a great birthday present. The farmer went to the airport, and after some time, he found a pilot who would take him up and his wife on a flight over their farm. The pilot owned a small open cockpit plane that would certainly give his wife the thrill of her life, but the pilot's price was too high. The farmer bartered with the pilot for a long time, insisting on a lower price. Finally, the pilot agreed to the lower price on one condition. The farmer and his wife had to promise not to say a single word during the entire flight. One word spoken out loud, however small, would increase the price to the pilot's original fee. The farmer's determination to give his wife the thrill of flying was only surpassed by his determination to spend as little money as possible. So he agreed to the condition. The next morning, the three of them took off and soon were high above the, the farm. The pilot knew that if he did a few roller coaster dips and turns in the plane, the couple in the back seat would soon speak up and he would receive his higher price. 
With that in mind, the pilot dipped, turned, climbed, and dived, and even did a few loops. Not a sound was uttered. Not a scream. Not a whimper. Nothing but silence. As they were landing, the pilot, amazed at the determination of the passengers, yelled back to the farmer over the roar of the prop, I can't believe you didn't say something up there. Why, I dipped, I turned, I climbed, I dived as never before. I even did loops. And you two were quiet the whole time. I guess you win. The farmer shouted back, well, son, you almost won. You almost won. I felt like yelling when my wife fell out. (laughs) Pretty determined man, right? But at what cost? At what cost? Aren't we like that sometimes? We are so determined to get what we want that we just, it costs us something. Well, God knows that you're a determined person, and today's message, I hopefully, will help you be determined to do the right things, because our stubbornness often gets us in trouble. If you have a strong-willed child, all right, God, God made them that way to a point, okay? Your, your job, as hard as it can be, is to guide that stubbornness, okay? You, you know that every winner is stubborn, right? They, they work hard, and they, they, they put in the work. They do what other people are not really willing to do, um, and that's what makes champions, is people that will go that extra effort, okay? It's not always the ability that gets you there, okay? You have to have some ability, but ability coupled with perseverance and determination, that's what makes champions, okay? It's just to, to stick to it, to keep going, and do what other people really aren't willing to do. I've learned in life, it doesn't take any effort to make a mess of things. Matter of fact, it comes naturally. And the Apostle Paul understood this concept completely, okay? He was a man of God, and you understand this. He was a man of God. He was a Jesus follower. He was writer of half the New Testament, and, and yet he struggles with this fleshly desires that we struggle with. So we, we can kind of relate to what he's going here. Here's what he is. He's honest enough, honest enough to write about it for all to see. And so we're going to turn to Romans It'll be up on the screen. Um, same writer, it's really important for us to understand here. The same writer that wrote Hebrews wrote something back in Romans about this fight that we have. And here's what I love about it. Here's a guy, again, who his life has been changed by Jesus. Okay? He was persecuting Christians. He got saved. Now he's serving God. And yet he is honest enough to say, man, I struggle with stuff. Like, again, this is going to help all of us because all of us were like, okay, the Apostle Paul, man of God, you know, hero of the faith, he also fought his flesh. He also did things that he knew he shouldn't have been doing, but he did it anyway. Yeah, and he writes it here. And I love how he writes it. So here's what he says, chapter 7, verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual. In other words, the word of God is spiritual. But I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. He says this, verse 15, I do not understand what I do. You ever been there? I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't understand what I do. This is Paul the Apostle, man of God, writer of the New Testament or most New Testament. I don't understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. He's not talking about making an excuse. He's just saying the sinful man that still wants to do wrong, that's what's doing it. Okay, and if I do what, well, I got lost. There's so many I do's, I do's. All right. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It's no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not, not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. Can you imagine if you had a five-year-old and this, the kid quoted that to you? He'd be like, why'd you do that? And he's like, well, things I want to do, I don't want to do, I want to do, I want to do. And you're like, what? It's just, it's this thing. But I love it because it's us. It's us. He's, he's just like, ah, man of God, called the right half the New Testament, lover of Jesus, just like you, just like me. And he's still struggling. Now, I don't know about you, that makes me feel pretty good. It's like, pastor of the church, okay? You shouldn't be struggling, you shouldn't be thinking, you shouldn't be saying, okay? You, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. But wait, Paul did, and Paul was honest about it. He's like, man, this is what I struggle with. It's a daily, daily fight, daily fight, okay? He was a single guy. I'm sure he had pretty good looking women chasing him, right? He had followers, but he, he, had, he was a man, guys. He wasn't a eunuch, okay? He was a man, he had the ability to father children, right? But he, he was so focused on Jesus. So he had these struggles. And I love that he's just honest enough to say, this is a battle. In verse 21, he goes on. He says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. And I think most of us do. We know God's word. We love God's word. I just, if I could just live it every day, it would be great. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within my members. He says this, verse 24, what a wretched man that I am, and all of us have been there. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Um, and it plays right with what we're saying today. I hope this makes you feel better. I hope that, that you realize that the battles that you're fighting, because here's what the devil loves to tell you. The devil loves to say, you're the only one that has ever struggled with what you're struggling with. You're the only one who has ever thought a thought that twisted. Now, if you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of twisted thoughts, right? The devil knows what works. The, the devil hasn't singled you out out of the billions of people and go, I'm going to tempt the one, one thing I've never tempted any other human being before. Because we've all thought that, haven't we? We've all had those thoughts of those going, man, has anybody ever thought a thought that evil? If you read your Bible, you'd be like, yeah, you're not, you're not special, right? You're not special. Satan knows what works, doesn't he? Wow. <laughs> I heard the online amens, but in, in person here, there was so much conviction and Holy Spirit in this moment that nobody could even speak. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Right, we all, we all face stuff, we all battle things. And so I love it, the fact that Paul the Apostle is not trying to make himself look like this spiritual guru, the spiritual giant that doesn't struggle with stuff anymore. Guys, he wrote half the New Testament at God's command. And he's going, the stuff I wanna do, man, I wanna serve God, but I find myself doing the other thing. I, the things that I don't wanna do, the thing I'm like, no, that's a sin. I find myself doing it. And he's like, ah, I, I think he's kind of like Gollum when, you know, when he's talking back and forth, if you watch Lord of the Rings, where there's this, this bipolar thing that Gollum, he, he's wrestling with himself and he finally just yells. He's just like, ah, and I think we can all relate to that at moments in our life. And when we just act over our flesh, we're like, what did I say that? What did I look at that? What did I do that? Why did I think? Why, why, why? It's that flesh in us that's always alive and we have to keep it suppressed. It never dies until we die. But here's the good news, you can improve, right? You can fail less, you will never become sinless, but you can sin less. Like we can overcome those things. You can overcome your addictions, you can, but it's a renewing of your mind thing and it's not an overnight thing, but there is hope, okay? God will get us over those things. Uh, the thing I think that I wanna say that encourages me and bothers me at the same time 
about Romans 7, 14 through 25 is we could all be the author. Every single one of us can be the author of that, right? So it's encouraging. So here's what Paul, he says, who will save me? It's Jesus. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, okay, your past is forgotten. Your past is forgotten. I have, I have a feeling that God oftentimes looks at you and says, why are you bringing that up? I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, but God, I did this. Yeah, you know, now your spouse might bring it up, but God doesn't. Is that good news, right? God's like, no, I forgave you. So why are you bringing it up? Okay, I forgave you. And Paul, I think, had to deal with this because he did some pretty bad stuff. So the penalty of sin has been dealt with, but Paul still admits that sin still has power in us. And I think we can't live in denial. I think we've got to really, okay, I had, there's something I have to fight in me. It's this flesh. It wants to do what it wants to do, but, but God has given me the strength to get over those things. Will we fail? Absolutely. That's what forgiveness is all about. Aren't you glad that we, we, all we have to do is ask God to forgive us and he does right then, boom, the moment you ask? Did you wish marriage was like that? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Wouldn't it be great if our spouse or we would forgive that quickly and just forget about it? Amen. I, I'm giving a big amen too, right? It'd be awesome if it was like that. So, so don't play God in your own life, okay? Don't, don't not forgive yourself over something God has forgiven you of. Okay, you have to recognize and admit that sin is right there with us in a daily battle. And this is why our daily habits and patterns are so vital in our success as a human, okay? Good growth is almost always intentional. And I wanna tell you about a man who was a great prophet of his time, um, great philosopher, his name was Mr. Miyagi. All right, Mr. Mr. Miyagi, all right. If you've never seen the movie, go watch the movie, The Karate Kid. Um, one, of, one of the greatest examples, I think, in, in our spiritual walk with God, you got the story of Daniel who moves you know, to Southern California with his mom and doesn't know anybody, gets beat up and he, he meets this guy who kind of saves him, finds out he knows karate. Well, Daniel, his whole motive, I want to learn karate so I can defend myself, okay? So I can beat people up. So he wants to, he wants to learn karate. So Mr. Miyagi is like, oh, Daniel-san, come over, you know, uh, you know sand floor. You know? So he's sand on the floor, sand on the floor. And then what's he say? Paint fence. No, Daniel-san, not like this. Like, you know? And he's teaching him. He's, he's guiding him. And then he's saying, on the wax on, wax off. Okay. And, and no, no, like the, he's showing him how to do it. And Daniel's like, okay, I wanted to learn karate and you're just making me work. And what's he finally do after painting the fence and waxing on and waxing off and sanding everything? He gets angry at Mr. Miyagi. He gets mad at him and he's like, you're just making me work. And, and all of a sudden, when it comes down to it, Mr. Miyagi says, Daniel, son, you're getting, he's, he's calm, but he's intense. And he, then he starts teaching him what? Paint the fence. Okay. Sand the floor. <laughs> wax on, wax off. Daniel realizes that Mr. Miyagi, in all his wisdom and knowledge, was teaching him karate the whole time and he didn't know it. And what my point is, is that God is doing something in your life. God is having you do things and you're like, but God, I, you know, I, I'm wanting to learn karate here and God says, I'm teaching you something because there's gonna be a point that you're gonna realize that what you're facing, what you're doing, what I'm asking you to do right now is going to benefit you. It's going to get you where you wanna go. And a lot of times we disagree with how God wants to get us somewhere. And that's where Daniel was. He was disagreeing with who the master was to, to teach him the things he needed to learn so that he be, could become a good fighter. You see how that plays out in our lives? There's a lot of times that we'll want God to do something. God says, okay, sand the floor. We're like, well, I don't want to sand the floor. <laughs> I, want to, I want to preach. Lord, I'm called to ministry, so I should have the pulpit. And, and, and if you want to preach up here, first of all, you got to be willing to clean the toilet. Okay. I still clean toilets, right? It's just something that, that as a pastor, I can't just do the fun of the pulpit 
And most pastors will say, you know, preaching is kind of the fun part, but we got to be willing to do whatever it takes behind the scenes to get to this point. When I got called to ministry at 17, 18 years old, I was going to be a mechanic. That's what I wanted to do. I can, you know, fix a car and a car don't talk back. A car don't blame the other car for its problems. Well, if it wasn't for that Chevy, I wouldn't have problems. All right, this is a good illustration. I just thought of it. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 first service didn't get this, all right? Hey, can you imagine me working on a car and him blaming the other car? Like two cars them come into the garage and they're married, Ford and Chevy, and you should never marry the two, um, all right? Shouldn't have married a Chevy. I could go somewhere with this, Bob. This is good. It's anointed of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and if one car is blaming the other car for its problems, you would be like, you're ridiculous, Okay. As a mechanic, that wouldn't happen, but as a pastor, that happens all the time. <laughs> it's like, well, you shouldn't have married a Chevy, but you're married, so um, both your names are on the title, so let's deal with it. <laughs> we like to blame. We like to blame for our problems, and, and that's a bad place to be, okay, when we blame others for our problems. But God is doing something, and he's, and he, he's developing something in you, and you may not even understand. And again, that's what I love about Mr. Miyagi. He was, he was developing Daniel, and Daniel didn't know it. He didn't know it. God is doing something in your life and you don't even know what he's doing. My, my encouragement to you is just keep sand in the floor if that's what God tells you to do. Just keep painting the fence if that's what God tells you to do. You just keep waxing the car if that's what God tells you to do. And what did Daniel, after he had his attitude, he came back and he like was apologetic. What did Mr. Miyagi give him? He gave him that beautiful car, right? The thing that he was working on. God will give you beautiful things if you just stick to doing what he's told you to do. You may not see the end of it, but God's got good things for you, okay? Your, your job is to be obedience because obedience really is the key. Now, here's what I know about lessons. Lessons usually stick when we learn the hard way. <laughs> when we learn the hard way, what maybe I didn't tell you is that when I wrecked my mom's Jeep, my dad flipped it back over with some equipment and made me drive it home. And I didn't want it to, but he made me like, yes, sir. And, uh, and, and yet he still made me pay for the new top because it ripped the soft top, and, and my mom is my mom's Jeep, right? So as a 13-year-old, I think it was like 152 bucks out of a J.C. Whitney catalog uh, back in the day before you had Google and eBay and Amazon. Um, you actually had to wait for things to get to your house, and, and I had to pay for the top, and I'm glad that my dad made me pay for it. Why? Because it taught me a lesson that if I don't keep my eyes on the road, it's going to cost me something. Okay, and so 152 bucks has probably kept me from, from getting another car crashes or getting off the road. It, it taught me to pay attention. And again, the lesson usually sticks when it costs you something. All right. So what I appreciate, and I know if you are in leadership at all, all right, most people, I know this about people, most people are really good at pointing out problems. Here's what leaders are good at. Leaders are good at pointing out problems, but they know what the solution is and they're willing to offer a solution. So it's really easy to point out problems, okay? So here's what Paul really is telling us. In Romans, he, he, tell, he gives us a diagnosis. He's like, okay, here's what we battle. We battle the flesh. We battle what our flesh wants, okay? And, and I'm telling you the problem, but I'm also gonna give you a solution in Hebrews on how to get over this, okay? I love people that say, hey, here's a problem, but I fixed it. Like you will go up, you will get a raise if you're under me and I'm paying you, you will get a raise if you're a problem solver because it's really easy to point out a problem. I will tell you this, a diagnosis is not a solution. And there's a lot of people in this world that love to diagnose what the problems are, but they're not very good at offering solutions. Diagnosing criticism is not a spiritual gift. Okay? It just isn't. 
It's one thing to point out the problem because we all know how to point out problems. It's another one to fix it. If you, if you call a, a pest control company or a weed control company, Mike, Mike Hill, they have alpha weed control, pest control. All right, Mike can show up on the job and go, yep, you got weeds. Yep, you got, you got pests, you got rats, and you got, I don't know if you have rats in Idaho. I should know, I've lived here long enough, right? Um, okay, you got, you, you got this problem. And Mike, if you got in the car and drove off or your truck, they'd be like, well, that's why I called you. I have a problem. The problem is easy to see. What they're looking for is what? Solutions. They're looking, can you fix my problem? I didn't call you just to tell me I have the problem that I know I have. I called you to fix my problem, to have a solution to it. And so as an employee, as, as a Christian, I believe that we can be really good at pointing out the problems, but not very good at being the answer to the problems. God wants us to be part of the solution. And he wants to be a part of the solution, amen? But we have to allow him to do that. Now I can tell you, hey, here's, here's you know, if you have bugs in your grass or, or whatever kind of things that we need to do, I can, I can give you a prescription and say, hey, here's what we need to do. Then it's up to you. You have to sign a contract and say, yeah, go ahead and spray, go ahead and do what you need to do. If we just know what the solution is, but we don't apply the solution, the bugs are not going to go away. Amen? As a painter, I used to paint houses. Okay? The paint, if it stays in the bucket, does no good unless it's applied. It's like the Word of God. The Word of God is like paint. Okay? We know that it's good, but if we don't apply it, it doesn't protect. Amen. We have to be willing to apply it. So we identify the problem. Okay? It's our flesh. It's my flesh. It's what we fight Okay, now Paul gives us a plan on how to fight it. So I'm not here today just to tell you, okay, this is what we fight. Go home, good luck. <laughs> no, now, now we're going to get into how we need to deal with it. So Hebrews, back to Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Are, are you learning anything so far? I hope so. Good. All right. If not, we'll be here till 2 o'clock, and I don't want to talk that long. I'm actually happy that I can even talk right now because my voice was gone yesterday. So we're doing pretty good. Four things we need to, to win these fights, all right? And feel free if you want to take pictures of what's on the screen. If something means something to you, just do that. Um, I say it's a daily thing, okay, if not an hourly thing. Paul gives us the diagnosis, okay? We fight the flesh. That's what Romans 7 is about. I fight the flesh. Hebrews 12 is, okay, here's how we get over it. Here, here's what we need to do to fight this thing. And it's a battle to the death. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Okay, again, the, the people that have gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He's just saying here that, that Jesus had to endure the cross. Jesus had a goal. He came to die for us, and he did a lot of good things up until that point. Okay, he healed people and whatnot, but that was, healing wasn't his main thing. His main thing was to heal the, the sickness of our sin, to die on the cross. That was his end game. And it says here that he endured, okay, because he knew what the endurance would get him. He would become the champion. He would defeat death. He would be the only one that would do that. And he did it for you and he did it for I. So don't think that God is not up there cheering you on. God is absolutely cheering you on. He sent his son so that you could win, so that you could overcome those things. So go, let's go back. There's four things I want to share with you before we go. Number one, he says, throw off everything that hinders. Okay, last week we talked about this a little more, um, about you know, letting go of what holds you back. Throw off everything that hinders. You have to learn to identify what these are. 
Okay, because the word everything, okay, can mean a lot of different things to you. There's certain things that are holding you back you need to learn to let go. And really only you know uh, what those are, uh, unless you have somebody that's close to you that you can say, hey, what are some things that I need to work on? Most people will be glad to tell you their opinion. Okay? If they, if they know you well, they'll be glad to say, hey, let me help you out. Here's some things that you could learn to do better. All right? If you're single, okay, if you're single, you'll never have a healthy relationship if you keep settling for whatever fish is biting. Okay, as a single person, you need to have some standards, some standards on what, okay, because what you don't want to do, and I wrote this down, I think I posted it this week, is that you don't want to be dating someone you have to, to spiritually babysit. Like if, you're, if you have to be their spiritual mentor and you're just helping them along, I'm not saying that this can't work, but if you're always having to be their spiritual babysitter, okay, once you get married, that will just continue, Okay, I, I know how this works. I've seen it happen in a lot of years of ministry. Um, you know, find somebody who's fairly equal with you in your walk with God and is pursuing God. Now, if they started pursuing God after, right, you know, because they met you, and again, I've used this illustration before. I have two very beautiful daughters, and, and before they were married, I saw young men pursue them, and it's amazing how spiritual a teenage boy can become when he's interested in the pastor's daughter. He's got his Bible. He's taking two or three communions. You know, he's like super spiritual. Uh, it's amazing how they show up to church. And then when they find out that, you know, the, the, the daughter's not that interested, they, they all of a sudden, you know, God has led them somewhere else. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the two son-in-laws I have. All right. But I saw that play out. Okay. I, I just, I just know how that happens. And guys, we're good, aren't we? Like we're good at pretending. We're pretty good at being spiritual when we need to be. All right. My goal for us is that we don't have to pretend that we are spiritual, that we do love Jesus with all of our hearts, with our flaws, with our faults, with our failures. We still love God with a passion. And when we love God with a passion, we'll love our wife and our family with a passion. All right? Some of us passionate people. Passion can get us in trouble, can't it? <laughs> I'm going to park there till you're honest with me. Passion can get us in trouble, can't it? Right? Passion can. It can propel us or it can repulse us. All right? On the Oregon Trail... When people left Missouri and they came across um, with the hopes of a better life, uh, I've read stories and I played the game in high school back when we had these little computers that barely moved, you know, you remember those? Um, matter of fact, this last week when my, I was fighting this head cold, I thought, man, my head feels like it's on dial-up. <laughs> and, and if you're a teenager, you have no clue what I just said. They're like... What's dial-up? Dial-up was a very slow form of internet and it was 10 cents a minute and it was, it was very, very slow and a 286 computer. But that's what this cold made me feel like. I was just on dial-up, all right? So back in the day, we played, you know, Oregon Trail. It was the game where you had to get provisions and take things and bullets and food and all that. And most of the time you died. Uh, but, but life is like this. But in the real life, pioneers, they would leave with these promises, you know, and the, and the husband were like, baby, it's going to be great. We're going to have this big house. We're going to have a big farm. It's going to be awesome. And, and so they, they put these false dreams and hopes into their wives so they would actually leave with them um, because what woman in her right mind would leave, you know, Maryland with a beautiful house to go out west? A good woman, that's what, right? Tough women. And, and so they'd load up, load up these, these prairie schooners, these big wagons, and they'd have their teams and they'd be going and everything was great on the flat. But once they hit like Wyoming or Rocky Mountains and had to cross rivers, they realized that a lot of things that they were packing were unnecessary. The things that the wife was insistent on, ladies, I'm not picking on you, this is just the truth. Uh, they would overpack for this big trip. They would have pianos. They would have their libraries, just books and books and books. They would have, you know, the, the cooking pot. They would have all kinds of stuff that was great. All the time. Once they got into the tough, tough terrain, they had to start 
making decisions as to what to drop off. Now, I'm really, really glad, I'm really thankful that women in the current century don't overpack on trips like this. Um, <laughs> we never see that happen, right, ladies? But you are the reason we live if we get stuck in the snow, okay? <laughs> hey, look, I bought 15 days of food, um, you know? And, and, and so they would have to, on the side of the trails, decide what to drop off. And it would be pianos, it would be libraries, it's boxes of books. It would be all these things that were nice, hear me, but not necessary. They were nice, but they weren't necessary. And I think that's what Paul is telling us here. There are some things that, that we're on this travel and, and we have to, low, to know what to throw off that's hindering us. Because you can't get a, a prairie schooner across the river if it's loaded down with a bunch of stuff that are nice, but not necessary. And I think that's the picture he's painting here. So these these. These pioneers had to realize, you know what, pianos are great, but they won't get us to the end. It's going to hinder us from getting our dreams. And, and let me tell you something. Once you get to your destination and your dream place, the pianos will come. Some, somebody will pick your piano up and sell it back to you or something, right? Uh, and, and, and we have to understand that there are things that we have to learn to let go. There's a lot of things that are hindering our progress. Okay, one of the top ones that I thought of was being offended and staying offended, Offense is a huge hindrance in the Christian walk. We get offended pretty easy and we stay offended way too longer than we should, right? Does this offend you? You're not answering me, okay? It's true, right? We get offended and then we stay offended. And these things can be moment by moment, okay? Somebody, we can have a great day and somebody can be, make a rude comment, they'll roll their eyes or do whatever or say whatever and all of a sudden we're offended by it. And you ever, you ever, you ever met an eye roller? An eye roller never admits that they roll their eyes. I'd be like, you roll your eyes. No, I don't. Can you see that? No, I don't. Eye rollers don't look. Why? Because it's a habit. Okay? So my, my, my solution to that is when they roll on their eyes, they can't see you poke them in one, and then they'll... No, don't do that. <laughs> I just prompted five-year-olds to destroy their family. Um, okay? Whatever it is, moment by moment, we have the opportunity to get offended. We got to learn to let those things go. Most of the time is how we react to things. I wrote this down this morning, and I was thinking that, um, that a lot of people are held captive by what they think the other person's intentions were, not reality. This like describes marriage almost, right? I'm, I'm offended because of what I think your intentions were, and I'm not even going to ask where your intentions were because I know what your intentions were because I saw how you said it or heard how you said it. We, we, have, we get offended a lot of times and we're held captive by what we think somebody else's intentions were. And we can get in a lot of trouble with that. I wrote this down as well. Um, conclusions are drawn by our own insecurities, not reality. Okay? Conclusions are often drawn by our own insecurities, not reality. Aren't we good at doing that? We just draw these conclusions Okay, we're really good at doing that. We've got to learn not to. It's amazing what we allow to get us off track. Okay, number two, the sin that so easily entangles. All right, if you've ever taken a kid fishing and they don't know how to fish, you understand how easily a reel can explode. Like, I'm all about when you take kids fishing, give them a stick and a line about this long and a hook. Right, because that, and they'll find a way to get that messed up. But if you've ever taken a group of kids fishing with those Royal Rangers or Scouts, you understand how fast things can get tangled up. You will not get to go fishing. You will be fixing, okay, not fishing. That's how it happens. Um, we don't have to try very hard to get tangled up in sin. It finds us. Okay, this leads me to a story that I wrote down in my Bible that happened a lot of years ago. This is, um, this is before I met Jesus, and I did something that would not make PETA people very happy. And I'm not talking about the bread. 
but I'm going to tell the story because it's, no animals were seriously harmed in the making of this story. Okay, true, true happened, all right? And if, if you hate me afterwards, there's probably another church you like better than mine because I actually grew up with a childhood where we weren't addicted to video games. We actually went outside and did things, okay? So here's what I did. And if I can picture, picture my little tiny farm town or little logging town, actually, and uh, we had a, a cow pasture that was a, in between us and the church. Well, my best friend lived on one side of me. We just walked to each other's house. And we had a neighbor that lived across our fence and the fence had hog wire. It wasn't bar, bar it was hog wire. It was like squares of metal. And, and there was two dogs. Our neighbor had a dog named Jake and my best friend had a dog named Taco. Both were mangy dogs. Taco was more mangier than the neighbor's dog. And, and these dogs would go, would bark at each other and run along the fence. Just, there was a dirt trail. Just, they would just go at it all the time. We thought it was pretty funny. Um, you know, a lot of bark and no bite. But actually, Taco did bite, bit me once, but whatever. Um, he did. He jerked me off my, motor, my bicycle. So this story, we had this idea because on Jake's side of the fence, there was two trees in a V, and the trail went in between the trees. And we had this idea to wrap fishing line. Yeah. <laughs> to fishing line. We thought... Let's do something to Jake. Like, let's get in this trap him in the fishing line. So we didn't go for six-pound test. We went for 20. Like, this is going to be a collision, okay, between flesh and fishing line. And so we wrapped this, this fishing line around. Again, we're eight years old, okay? Don't, I didn't do it when I was 50. Some of you are looking at me. Like, like, and, and, and we wrapped this fishing line around it. And so we created this invisible wall of fishing line on Jake's side of the, the fence. And, and so then we went and got the dogs that were like, hey, get him, get him, get him. And they start going at it. And they're, rah, rah, rah. And they're barking. And we go down and we hide by the trap. And, and we're watching them go back and forth. And they get closer and closer. We're like, ah! And then they turn and go the other direction. Well, finally, there was an explosion of dust and fur. And we accomplished our mission. It's still funny. Okay, the dog was not destroyed. It didn't break any bones. It taught a lesson that you need to pay attention, not to the fight, but to the road. Like if you're paying attention to what's barking at you all the time, you are gonna run into stuff in life. You are gonna get snagged in what tangles up so easy and that's called sin. Y'all still love me because you didn't react near as good as the first crowd. All right, now I'm beginning to wonder what groups you belong to. Um, okay. Again, I'm not saying it was right, but it was still funny. I mean, it was funny, right? It was just, just two kids thinking up some things. And again, the dog was fine <laughs> after a couple weeks. Um, no, he was fine. He's still there. But my point is, is I, write this, I wrote this story in my Bible on this because I have a memory of stay focused on the path, not, not the fight. Some of y'all are so focused on what's fighting is you're forgetting where you're going. And there's always a trap laid, right? The devil always will get your distraction the other direction. Okay, it goes back to my Jeep story. What was I doing? I should have been looking at the road. I was looking at girls, okay? I have a friend who is Boise police and he, he told me this story that he went to this call on Broadway and there was a motorcycle that hit the back of a car. You know, so he went to the car wreck and, um, and there was some witnesses there. And so he was interviewing one of the witnesses and the witness said, I might have caused that. And then he informed me that the witness was a young college woman in a bikini with, uh, with rollerblades. And as she was rollerblading down the sidewalk on Broadway, you had the guy on the motorcycle who just naturally fixed his gaze on where he shouldn't have been looking, all right? And the attraction became a distraction, and the distraction became an accident. 
And the girl was smart enough to know I probably caused that. That was in the witness statement. I probably caused that. You got to watch out for things that will get you distracted because the things that are attractive are attractive. Okay, they are. But you have to learn not to get distracted by those things. So, so what attracts you doesn't have to distract you. Okay. So this is why focus is so important. You need to learn to throw it off, okay? So the sin that so easily entangles, okay, just do your best to stay, stay with it. Uh, here's what I, I think about myself anyway. I write this down. It, sometimes life feels like we're trying to run a race through a beach full of discarded fishing line and fishing nets. Like very seldom is it smooth, right? You always have to look out for those things that will, will get you. Number three, are you ready for number three? Okay, run with perseverance. That's pretty easy, right? It runs with perseverance. The race of life is often uphill. Paul's telling us that it's going to be a battle between the flesh and the spirit. The, thing, the goal that you want to accomplish is not going to be easily accomplished because if it was easily accomplished, everybody would do it. But to, to be a champion, either, either physically or spiritually, we have to keep our perseverance going. We have to continue to run that race to realize life is going to be hard at times. Okay, marriage is going to be hard at times. Some people like, marriage is hard all the time. It can be, right? There, because why you have two imperfect people trying to get along, two imperfect people that love Jesus that have different opinions about things. It's called compromise. It's called learning to, to say, okay, you know, I don't have to be right all the time. I don't know why I said that. I was very revealing about my own life. Um, right? But it's really true. Hey, run with perseverance, okay? It's going to be a battle. It's going to be, it's going to be hard. Keep going, keep going. Work harder than the next person, okay? Stay, stay to it, stick to it. Number four, the race marked out for us. This is pretty simple. Most of us know how we should be living. Most of us know what the word of God says about how we're to treat people, right? Even if you're a newer Christian, you have a pretty good idea of how we're, you know, how we're supposed to treat others. You, you probably know we're not supposed to lie, we're not supposed to cheat, we're not supposed to steal. We're supposed to just do what's right. If we all lived a little bit of the Bible, we might know life would be a lot better. It really would. The race is marked out. It's not like we're flying blind here. Okay, now part of my job is if you're a brand new Christian, didn't grow up in Sunday school, is to teach you some of the, the deeper things of God's word. But most of us know how we should live. I've often said that, that if you want to know how a Christian should live, ask a non-Christian. Like ask a heathen. They say, how, could, how should a Christian live? They'll give you a pretty good idea of how a Christian should be living. Right? We like to muddle the waters a little bit, right? But a non-Christian will kind of tell you this is what a Christian should do and should not do. It's marked out for us, right? God's road, uh, word is a roadmap to this race. It's not, it's not the knowing, it's the doing. Okay? It's not the knowing, it's the doing. Okay? One of the important things, Mikey Hill, he, he races motocross. And, and one thing you guys do is you look at the track, don't you? You, you, you don't just go, okay, I'm just going to, this is the first time. Because if, if you get on a motocross track and you've never been there before, you are not going to be fast. What a smart motocross racer knows is they go and they, they basically walk the track. They see where the ruts are. They see where the turns are. They see where things are. Why? Because they need to develop a plan in your mind on how you're going to do that race. And that's what can make it difficult. If you've never been on the track, you're just going to be, but you be fat, you're fast by mapping out, okay, this is what I need to do here. Our Christian life is no different than that. We go to God's word and we say, okay, when somebody offends us, how are we going to react to that? Bless and don't curse. <laughs> what do I want to do? I want to curse. Right? That's what my flesh wants to do. Well, the Bible says to bless them. Well, what if they mistreat me? Can I mistreat them back? Nope, you're supposed to pray for what? Come on, God. <laughs> right? Come on, Old Testament. Yeah, if you poke my eye out, I could poke your eye out. I love Old Testament better, right? Well, we all be walking around with no eyes. And Jesus is like, well, you heard it said that you can do this. Well, I'm telling you, forgive. Okay, what's he doing? He's mapping out 
He's, he's, okay, look out for these things. We'll cause a wreck. Look out for these things. Okay, don't be distracted by this. That's how we're to live our life, is to look at God's word and go, okay, this is how I need to react. And, and I'm so thankful that once we read God's word, then it's all, that we all have to read it once and we don't have to practice anymore because it just comes natural. No, it's an everyday thing, right? It's an everyday thing because things change, all right? So we know the way. Will we go the way? That's the question. Last question I have for you here is what would you do with what you just heard? <laughs> okay, I, I know that, that I have a message this long with this many points. Not everything applies to you, but I think one thing did. I think it was one thing that you, that you heard, that you saw, and you went, yeah, that's me. That's, that's what I need to work on. That's, that's the thing that I'm working through right now. Is, and some of you may, it might be just hopelessness, but I'm gonna tell you, man, if you feel hopeless, don't. <laughs> I know it's easier said than done. God has an amazing plan for your life. And if you give up now, you will never see the fruit of that life. God doesn't want you to give up. He wants you to keep going. Will you stumble? Will you fall? Absolutely. Will you battle some of those things? Guys, we know some of those things, you will battle the temptations until you die. We know that. Man, we understand this. There's things that we will battle until the day we die. Ladies, you will battle sales until the day you die. Not all ladies, but some ladies, right? You see the sales sign, it gets your attention, right? That's the thing that will make you crash your motorcycle in the back of a car. It's 90% off. (laughs) So lust isn't only after, isn't sexual, okay? It can be a lot of things, all right? What applies to you? I'm hoping to just spur your brain to go, okay, here's what I need to work on. Make a plan for success, all right? So the doctor visit is now complete. The diagnosis is given. The prescription is those four things, okay? Your homework is to go back this week and read Hebrews 1, or Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, read it every day and ask yourself, what do I need to apply now? Like, okay, perseverance, I get that. Fix my eyes on Jesus. Okay, what am, what am, I, what am I looking at? What do I have in my wagon that maybe I need to dump off, okay? Nice things aren't always necessary, okay? Maybe the nice things come later. Right now, here's, here's what we do. We have these you know, people graduating high school and they want these teenagers, they get married and they want everything their parents took 40 years to get yeah. immediately, okay? Well, in Idaho, you ain't getting a house for a while, guys, sorry. Um, the houses are too high, the pay's not enough, all right? It's not gonna work, all right? But, but will you work for what, what it is that God wants you to do? That's what I'm asking you to do, is what is it God wants you to do and will you work? Will you do what it takes to get there? Sometimes it feels like... Wax on, wax off. Sometimes it feels like paint the fence. You know why? Because it is wax on, wax off. It is paint the fence. It is work. But God's doing something in you that you don't even recognize. My heart is for you to keep going, to keep doing it. Because when you keep doing what God asks you to do, he is going to get you to the end result. He will. That's his job. Isn't that cool? Your job is to obey. His job is to get you there. Isn't that great? great. I love you. Amen. If you bow your heads with me real quick, one question I have to ask you is if you're here today, uh, you need to know I, <laughs> I am a firm believer in heaven and hell, that your salvation is the most important thing today. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, I hope you take what we've said today and apply it, but if, you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I will tell you a couple things. Number one, there's an emptiness inside of you. Okay, there's something missing and you know it, you feel it, you may not even know what it is, but, um, it, but if you haven't asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, it's, it's that void, it's the God void. It's God made a void in your heart that can only be filled with him and his love. And he wants to fill that void, he wants to forgive you, he wants to come into your life, but maybe you haven't allowed him to. And if you have not done that and you want forgiveness, you want forgiveness of your sins, you want heaven to be your home, the Bible is very clear 
about uh, the fact that we have to give our lives to Jesus Christ to get to heaven. We can't get there by being good. We have to ask his forgiveness. And most of us have done that, but if you haven't done that and you need to, okay, I just wanted to see your hand right now. If that's you, you say, Sam, I'm, I'm here today. I need to give my life to Jesus. I want this forgiveness you're talking about. I don't understand everything about Christianity. That's just the fire alarm. There's no fire. It just happens. Okay. Anybody at all? Okay. All right. Don't see your hands. All right. Look at me. If that was the rapture, would you have gone? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know. All right. Uh, so anyhow, y'all want to know what the beep was. See that, that heater right there? It ain't working. That's the problem. And it does a test. And they put it in test mode, but that one works. You heard that one come on, right? That one's got an electrical problem, so it sends us a little funny signal. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed today. Thank you so much for being here. Um, again, I pray for Pastor Stevie and Kristen to get back and uh, want to hear him preach next week. He likely will. So have a great day. If you're brand new, you can go to the information booth and get, you a, get your coffee cup. Have a wonderful day. See you Wednesday night. We'll be here live at 7 o'clock.